Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. On today's episode, we dive into a deep discussion with Dr. Cameron Staley about unwanted pornography viewing and how it can affect couples' relationship connection. We recognize this topic is sensitive for many and can be triggering for some. We also recognize that professionals and scholars have different perspectives when it comes to pornography and even using the term addiction. Our interview with Dr. Staley is obviously one perspective, and you may find it helpful. Dr. Staley is a clinical psychologist who is passionate about helping individuals improve their mental and sexual health. In his TEDx talk, Changing the Narrative Around the Addiction Story, Cameron shares details from his research and counseling experience regarding helpful ways to talk about sexuality and how to effectively reduce unwanted pornography viewing through acceptance and commitment therapy, or ACT. To make these principles more accessible to those who are struggling with pornography, he developed the Life After Pornography online program and the Life After Pornography coach app. Cameron also provides online counseling services and coaching services for individuals seeking additional support in applying the mental and sexual health principles found in the Life After series programs. You can check out his podcast, interviews, research, and free trainings on his website, CameronStaleyPhD.wordpress.com. We hope you enjoy the show. Hey, welcome to Stronger Marriage Connection. The doctors are in. I'm your host, Dr. Dave Schramm, a family life professor and extension specialist at USU, alongside my amazing co-host, Dr. Liz Hale, a clinical licensed psychologist and we are dedicating our lives to bring you the best tips and tools to help you have the marriage of your dreams. All right, Liz, you ready for this one? Oh, yeah, I've been looking forward to it. I need to get a little bit better educated on this topic. I have clients, I have family members, friends. Uh, it's, it's a painful topic that really needs some further understanding. I'm so, so pleased yes. to have our next guest. Yeah, so the topic... Pornography addiction. So it's a common term that's been used for decades to describe unwanted viewing of sexual images. But according to Dr. Cameron Staley, a clinical psychologist at Idaho State University, is a term that doesn't quite hit the mark. Welcome to the show, Dr. Staley. Well, thank you so much for the invitation. It's great to be with you both. I'm looking forward to this chat. We are really honored. I think the three of us can agree that words have power, right? For instance, you uh, do not like the term porn addict when it's to describe someone who's um, viewing unwanted pornography, I think is how you say it, right? That's usually our go-to term in psychology, though. We don't know what else to use other than, oh, if someone's viewing pornography, they must be a porn addict. And yet that leaves a lot to be desired. Desire, please tell us why porn addiction is really missing the mark, Cameron. Yeah, I think one thing I've noticed is the term porn addiction is more focused on the symptom rather than the underlying concerns that's driving that action. And so I think about if you developed a nagging cough and went to the doctor for treatment and they diagnosed you with a coughing addiction and they recommended you stop coughing, 
Is that was the concern? Stop it. Yeah. <laughs> Coughing is unpleasant. You don't really want to do it around other people. So, like, don't cough. You know, that wouldn't be a very helpful treatment plan. And the same is true around unwanted pornography viewing. Porn is like the cough. It's often used as a coping strategy to escape from emotions such as stress or loneliness, sadness or shame is the big one, or as a way to experience connection without the fear of rejection or true vulnerability. And so when we start to use the terms addiction, it does become part of our identity. And I've seen it often keeps people stuck and perpetuates that unhelpful strategy rather than contributing to change. And the other big part is it also ramps up feelings of fear and despair and hopelessness that are going to further drive porn viewing in an effort to cope with those very emotions that were generated by that term addiction. Yeah, so it makes things worse. Makes sense. So pornography is for coping and uh, the false sense of connection. Yeah? I think so. Sometimes I think about often people, they're struggling with something. There's feelings that are there. There's some level of disconnection. And pornography is very similar to me as like a candy bar, where it's like, yeah, it might taste good in that moment. It was really simple. didn't require a lot of effort. But true connection, there's some risk involved. There's some vulnerability. There might be some conflict or tension in relationships. And part of us wants that connection without some of the risk. But I think about those true sustaining connections do require effort. That sometimes we actually do have to get in the kitchen and work and put that mill together. And that can be challenging because it might not turn out the way we want. But those mills are sustaining. Where porn is like, oh, there's a candy bar. That was easy. Um, and so it gives you a little, little dose of connection, but definitely not a kind of a substitute for the real thing. But that's a lot scarier for us sometimes. Versus that home-cooked meal. Yeah. Ah, and I like yeah. that analogy very much. You know, I'm currently working with a couple, Cameron, and the sexually acting out husband does not like the word porn addict. He has been dealing with pornography viewing off and on for years. He's probably in his 40s, and this started as a young child. He doesn't think the label fits him because he goes through periods of time where he doesn't even look at pornography, right? It doesn't even occur to him. But then life happens and he finds himself going right back that. Now his wife, does this surprise you, Cameron? His wife prefers the term porn addict because it makes her feel that he's not just choosing it. So you're just choosing to hurt me then. If you're not a porn addict, you're, you're creating all this chaos in my life and our children's lives on purpose. Yeah, that's the dynamic. And so I think about our mind is working really hard all of the time to avoid uncomfortable emotions. So if your partner is viewing porn, it would bring up feelings of hurt and anger and fear. Betrayal. But yeah, right? all that insecurity, that betrayal. And so if we can move away from those emotions by saying, well, our partner didn't choose to view, they have an addiction, it alleviates a sense of responsibility and protects us from some of those painful emotions. The challenge is it also keeps ourselves and our partner stuck as we don't develop the capacity to express and work through these emotions within ourselves or in our relationship that are driving this behavior in the first place. I think the other part is, unfortunately, many women are taught that it's kind of their responsibility to manage sexuality in the relationship. And even at a very young age, there's often messages that say, you know, the way women dress, that impacts men's thoughts and urges. So you got to watch what you wear. And it's like, wait a minute, like women are not responsible for men's thoughts and actions but that message is out there. And so it can feel like if your partner is viewing porn, somehow it's the female's partner's failure 
even though that's not what's going on. And so saying, oh, my husband has an addiction could alleviate some of that sense of that unfair pressure and responsibility that we unfairly put on women. Oh, that's brilliant. Even in marriage, even in a healthy relationship, I think a lot of women have been um, misled to believe that pleasure is really the, the husband's, right? Yeah. The man's. It's your job to make sure that this husband is happy and pleased. And there's not a lot of talk about a woman's pleasure, that we come at this together where it's pleasure for both. And that's the same thing then, right? Yeah, that's a key part of it, that we're kind of taught that the absence of sexual urges or desire is like virtue and healthy. And I think about that's like starvation. Like that's not help. Ah, what a shame. That's just awful. And on the flip side of the appetite, well, if you have an appetite, oh, then that must be unhealthy too if you're a female. But there's a balance here of eating nutritionist meals, like overindulging and starving yourself. Either spectrum is unhealthy. But often men and women get different messages that women should be starving. Men shouldn't be overindulging, but at least they get to have an appetite. And either way, those messages are not helpful. So like most things, balance is the answer. Balance. That's, that's beautifully said. Yeah. So you prefer the term then, not porn addict, porn addict, excuse me, but compulsive behavior. That's what unwanted pornography viewing is. Is that a better term, more accurate? Did I understand that right? Yeah, I would say most often viewing this as a compulsion can be a lot more helpful. And the reason why is we've found, and this was research in the last 10 years or so, that typically an emotion is proceeding an urge to view pornography. And so we're often viewing this as, oh, if you're viewing porn, this must be a sexual concern. But really, emotions are playing a major role. And so we've learned that those that do struggle with compulsive sexual behavior are typically less aware of thoughts and emotions. And when those emotions do come up, there's a lot more self-criticism when they arise. And so it's because of this discomfort and lack of awareness that they're engaging in behavior like viewing porn and masturbating in an effort to control these emotions. And then the individual is more likely to engage in viewing again as this very strategy they use to control emotions generates a new set of emotions like guilt and shame and loneliness. Yeah, you know the drill. And so our mind's going to say, hey, I know how to control those emotions. Why don't you view porn again? And it actually does work temporarily. You escape from those emotions. There's a bit of relief. And then they come back again. And our mind is really only interested in helping you get out of discomfort in this moment. It doesn't think about, hey, long term, this isn't working so well. Like, we're just kicking these emotion cans down the road. They're still there. But my job is to help you feel better in this moment. So go ahead and view porn and masturbate. Ah, my job is complete. Um, Our mind is not always designed to thinking about, but this isn't what I want in the long run. And this isn't healthy and it's impacting my relationships. Our mind is just saying, let's get away from this emotion now. And that's a compulsive pattern. Got it. Mm. Let's feel better now. That's interesting. Dr. Seeley, in your, in your TED talk, you use the analogy, you tell a story about a, a river and I think it's a, it's a clever analogy. Do you mind sharing that with our listeners? Yeah. And I think I thought about this because all the adults I work with that struggle with porn, they used to be kids back in the day. And I think we forget that we see our partner that's struggling or other people in our life. And we're like, ah, oh, what are they doing? Why this is so hurtful. And I'd say for most people, they begin viewing porn when they're children. Um, they're eight or 10 or 12. They're really young. And so I share this story that, you know, imagine you're growing up, you know, out in this idyllic countryside and, and life is just carefree and you're out there adventuring and you didn't know it, but there's a river kind of behind your home and your parents were afraid that 
that you might find that river and drown. And so they made it a point never to tell you about rivers and never to sign you up for swimming lessons because they were trying to keep you safe. And then someday, I mean, kids are curious, they explore and they find the river and like, you're going to skip some rocks across it and wade in and eventually you're going to get in there and it's going to sweep you away and you're going to get yourself back to the shore. And it's like, what happened? Like, this was exciting and interesting, but then it got scary and overwhelming. I don't know what this is. And so then you, you go back home and your parents are angry at you. And it's like, how dare you like swimming? And, you know, why are you covered in water? And it's like, I didn't even know what this river was. Like, what's swimming? And I think I've seen that over and over, that these children are kind of blamed for struggling with sexuality when they didn't even know what was happening. And so they don't have a mentor. They don't have a swim coach. It's not safe to talk about water. And it's like, oh, but it's your fault you struggle with porn. And in a lot of ways, we're kind of setting up our kids to fail if we're not comfortable having conversations about sexuality instead of just enforcing the rules and saying, oh, you're a bad kid for wanting to learn how to swim. It's like, no, that's what kids do. That's how our mind is. We're curious. We explore. But we put all the responsibility on the kids for figuring this out. And you're not allowed to make a mistake. And I think that's a a recipe for uh, a lot of struggles. Yeah, man, I really like that. Yeah, that's a great analogy. I mean, education, young and having being open, an open conversation. Um, I, I love that. We'll be right back after this brief message. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Well, let's dive right in. You made a brilliant discovery in your dissertation research, right? The viewing pornography, it's not outside uh, of our control. So how did you determine this through the the brain patterns? Yeah, so I'm sure just like both of you, the only message I'd heard growing up was porn is an addiction. And that's what I heard. And if you got an addiction, you go to treatment for addiction. And it wasn't until graduate school where I was interested in working with couples. And and I thought, "I, I need to learn more about sexuality and my mentor said, well, you got to come up with a research topic for your thesis and dissertation. And I was actually sitting in church one Sunday and listening to somebody talk about how pornography was an addiction and, and how it destroys relationships. And typically, I just nod along, like, yeah, I agree. And, but in that moment, I thought, oh, you know, I wonder what the research actually says about pornography. I, I've never looked it up. Um, I just kind of agree. It's like, yeah, morally, I'm opposed to it. But, you know, how does it impact relationships and isn't an addiction? And this was about 15 years ago now where I looked at the research and was really surprised. I couldn't find a single experimental study demonstrating that pornography was an addiction. 
like other substance use. And I thought, well, this is strange. Like everybody knows this is an addiction. Where's the science? And so I decided to do the research and I really thought that we'd be the first lab to demonstrate that pornography function like an addiction, just like other substance use. So we brought people in that were struggling with porn and we were monitoring their brain activity using EEG as they watched some exciting films and some sexual films and some nature documentaries. And I thought we'd see the similar brain patterns that we see with folks that struggle with methamphetamines or alcohol use. And we didn't. And I was really surprised. Um, so we published these findings and uh, we get a phone call from Dr. Phil say, hey, come on our show. And I mean, showing up in like Time Magazine, all these outlets. And, and the headlines are basically Man. researchers disprove sex addiction, which is not what we did. That, that's not what you do in science. You don't prove or disprove anything. We just didn't find evidence for a neurological addiction with porn that we see with substance use. But what we did find is those that struggle with regulating their viewing of porn experienced more negative emotions while they were viewing sexual images in our lab. So they did feel more distressed. They felt more anxious, more shame and guilt. And of course, the media doesn't take that as a headline because yeah. emotions aren't sexy. Uh, but it's like, That's not sexy. No, it's not. But it's like no. emotions are driving our actions. So emotions organize us. So when you break down the root of emotions, it just means to put in motion. And so if we're having these emotions guiding our actions, but we're not even aware of them, they're leading us down paths we don't even want to go. We don't even know how we got there. And so if we can increase awareness of these emotions, we can better understand what is driving these actions. And that is what gives us some choice. Um, but when we're not aware of those and just call this an, as an addiction, we're kind of shifting on autopilot and relinquishing control of the will. And that is what guides our actions. But when we are aware of thoughts, emotions, and urges, we have the power to disobey them. And so I think about, and this might be true for both of you, I have urges to check my phone quite a bit. Like when there's a little ding or it vibrates, I'm like, oh, better check my email, better check my text messages. And if I'm going fast and not thinking, I pull it out and I check. But if I'm slowing down and more aware, I can feel that little buzz and I can disobey that urge. And I can keep my phone in my pocket and keep a walking and keep chatting. And so as we slow down and increase that awareness and recognize, oh, maybe I'm feeling stressed and maybe that's why I'm checking my phone so much. That allows us to make decisions and we don't have to have the urges calling the shots. That is very cool. Let's go back to what partners can do, if you don't mind. I mentioned the client I have who really prefers her husband has a porn addiction. That's how she prefers to address this because of the emotional distress, correct? Absolutely. Because of her own emotion, emotional distress. Yeah. So what can we do instead as partners? How do we help? How do we come about this? We need to understand that emotions are driving this behavior. So please, what do we do? So I've found one of the, the best ways to help is find how you relate. And so you may not mm -hmm. struggle with pornography, but all humans engage in coping strategies to get away from discomfort. Mm -hmm. And But we do a lot of things. Like you may turn to snacking. That's my go-to. I'm going to find yeah, myself in the pantry quite a bit when I'm stressed. Big, bowl of, big bowl of ice cream. That's right. Oh, oh I love the ice cream. Um, so snacking's one. We turn to social media. We watch news. We may be gaming or shopping or uh, other substance use or viewing pornography. We may have different names for all those, but the underlying function is the same. We're attempting to escape discomfort. That's it. 
Um, the challenge is we put like a special category around porn where it's like, oh, but that one's not okay. Like that one's icky. That one's uncomfortable. Um, it's okay that I eat my Oreos. That's my go-to and um, to escape discomfort and manage stress, but yours isn't okay. And so really finding that, you know, all humans are trying to cope with distress. Some of these efforts are quite healthy, like having conversations about it or, or going on a walk. Um, those are healthy ways to cope with discomfort. Other ones are still coping strategies, just less healthy. And so how do you relate? This is, this is universal. This is human nature. And then to think about what kind of role do you want to play in your relationship? So for often when someone's thrown with porn, we shift from being a partner to being a parent or to being the police or the accountability buddy. And all of those roles I find are really quite disconnecting and take us away from that partner, friendship, supporting mode. And so I found that a lot of people turn to viewing porn because they want a sense of connection. And so if we shift to that parent mode or police mode or accountability, we're fostering that disconnection and it's gonna ramp up that ongoing behavior. So stay in that partner mode and then focus on what is it that you wanna grow rather than what you're trying to eliminate. And so our mind can only do, it can't not do, so if you're thinking about, hey, how can we spend more quality time together? You can come up with all kinds of ideas. But if you focus instead on how can we not view porn, your mind's spending time thinking about porn, even though you're not trying to do it, you're stuck. And so trying not to think about porn is basically a giant billboard for porn. And it's gonna be on your mind quite a bit. Um, so focus on things you're wanting to build. So our attention is like a water hose and whatever your water is gonna grow. So if you're watering the trees and the plants and they're going to grow. If you're watering the weeds because you don't like them, they're going to grow too. Um, so focus on what you want. Um, I'd also say having those open, honest conversations around emotions and fears and also practicing empathy for yourself and each other that this human condition is challenging and relationships are hard and, and we don't always cope in the healthiest ways. That's pretty human and having some compassion for that experience. There's a lot of dearth of empathy for someone who's viewing pornography, I'd say. Sadly. So much. Right? We, it, it's heartbreaking. It's hurt on top of hurt now. It is. And that's maybe what got me interested here is I had a view of who struggled with porn. And it wasn't a positive view. It's like, what kind of people would struggle with porn? It was very negative and judgmental. Yeah. Sadly, true. Until mm -hmm. I started working with people who struggle with porn. And my first experience was down at the University of BYU, down in Provo. And working with the college students there. And the first group I um, co-led was for pornography concerns. And I was really surprised. It's like, wow, like the folks, even though this is a religious university, um, the folks that struggle with porn tended to be more religious um, than the other folks. And it's like, oh, this is odd. Um, and they tended to be more sensitive and more caring and very driven, very perfectionistic, had really high standards for themselves. I thought this is really different than who I had assumed struggled with porn. And now we do know that folks that struggle with scrupulosity, which is kind of a religious OCD, or struggle with these really high morals, tend to struggle with porn more. And so often it's these people that are so driven to be really obedient and good family members and working really hard in school. Those are kind of risk factors for the struggle and then they feel terrible about themselves. And then we pile it on with the same language. You are terrible and an awful addict. And I found that folks that start with porn are often a vulnerable group. They are some of the best kindest people I've ever met. 
but they view themselves as, as the worst person imaginable. And it's hard to see that, that contrast. Oh my goodness. I just, I just hope and pray that the people that needed to hear that contrast have heard that contrast. Mm. That is really mind blowing to hear it from a, such a different angle. Yeah. The incredible hearts that are stuck sometimes in this compulsive, compulsive behavior is beautiful. Yeah. That's amazing. I can, I, I can't help but think that some of the listeners um, listening to this or they've heard of their talks, you know, approach their partner and say, you know what, if you, if I ever caught you looking at pornography, I would leave you so fast. I, I can't help but think, you know what that does to the person? It makes them think, oh, I've really got to hide this now because now if I get busted. So what's a better approach to something? You know, someone's thinking, oh, I wonder if my partner is viewing pornography. And I'm, rather than threaten them, what, what could they do? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I think about you know, if you have that fear, you can bring it up. and But in a really understanding way. To say, you know, I, I heard this podcast today and I hadn't really thought about pornography. That's not something we've talked about. And this might be something people struggle with more than I had thought. And it sounds like people struggle with porn from a very young age, that they found this to be a coping strategy to manage stress and loneliness or even boredom or they're trying to find some connection. And, and often folks feel a lot of shame around this. So they tend not to talk openly about it. And so I was just kind of curious, like, this isn't something I've struggled with, but I'm wondering if it's something maybe you've struggled with. And if so, I'd love to hear more about your experiences, because it may not be something I understand very well. And I might be scared about it, or there might be some myths I might believe. But, you know, I would really, truly like to know you and support you with this. And this might be a hard conversation, um, but I'm committed to seeing you and getting to know you. You know, how, how has this been for you? Yeah. Yeah, much better than the than the blame or the threat uh, approach to that, and even normalizing it, right? And being able to normalize a struggle. I like how you said, you know, maybe my coping mechanism isn't pornography, but maybe it's chocolate, or maybe it's uh, online shopping, or you know something else. And so to kind of normalize, I guess the the struggle. Not that doing pornography, everyone, you know, it's normal, but to normalize that there that it is, it is a struggle. A lot of people um, struggle with this this compulsive behavior. Yeah. How young did you say, uh, Cameron, how young are children viewing pornography on average? Yeah, you know, my experience working with uh, adults that start with porn, they typically, and the stories are like nearly identical. It's like, oh, when I was eight or 10, I'm mean, usually it's before 12. I'd say occasionally someone's like, when I was in my 20s, I started viewing. It's like, really? <laughs> like it's, That's unusual. Yeah, huh? it's usually when I was a kid. And often it's like, yeah, I grew up in a home where we didn't talk about sexuality or my parents had the talk and that was really weird and uncomfortable and we're never having that talk again. And so it's usually kids that grow up in that climate where it's like we don't talk about it. And kids are really smart and they learn that if we can't talk about it, something must be really shameful about it or really wrong. And kids are also naturally curious. That's how we learn and grow so kids are exploring bodies and sexuality, and then they come across images, and they find that, ooh, that was exciting. Oh, but we don't talk about this. Something must be wrong. And so I can't talk to my folks about it. And that's what kind of contributes to that further withdrawing. And then you're like, oh, I'm even more disconnected. Oh, viewing sexual images helped me feel better. I'll do that. Oh, now I'm feeling more disconnected. And I, I've just seen so many people grow up in such a lonely way where they feel like a terrible person, they can't talk to their folks or religious leaders about it. And there's just all this shame over the years. But on the outside, 
these are kids that are getting pretty good grades and doing well in sports teams and, and good kids that inwardly feel terrible. You don't know who's suffering, do you? No. We are so good about that presentation. Oh, yeah. And in, in this home, we don't talk about the river, right? That's, yeah, that is that's such an excellent analogy. So, you know, can I ask you this? It, um, what about sexual abuse? Because that often happens in the younger ages. Do you see that also being the perfect place to have this bloom as far as unwanted pornography viewing? Yeah, that's a great Maybe it's not. Hmm. Oh, go ahead, Liz. Go ahead and finish that thought. Well, maybe I'm so sorry. I didn't need more explanation. Maybe it wasn't pornography viewing, but maybe it was someone touching them inappropriately or yeah. someone exposing themselves to them. So that's a helpful thought. We're so focused on, oh, the porn is the problem. Often people are viewing porn to cope with other stuff. And what I've seen is often there's underlying mental health concerns. And so I've seen people that struggle with social anxiety or that struggle with depression and they found that viewing porn was a way to alleviate some of those feelings of anxiety or alleviate some of that despair with depression. Um, I've seen that folks that struggle with ADHD often struggle with compulsive sexual behavior. That's not that uncommon. Or autism. Well, a lot of folks that struggle with social connections and emotional awareness and some of those cues want relationships and connections, but sometimes that feels like a foreign language a bit. And I've seen a lot of porn struggles there. And the big one you mentioned is often people experience trauma and it can be physical abuse or separation from family, loss of loved ones. It can be sexual abuse. And so that's really confusing as a kid where it's like I had an unwanted sexual experience that was very scary um, and not something that I wanted. But also my body responded um, where there may have like, oh, gosh, I, I still got aroused. That's confusing. So all of that's overwhelming and confusing and traumatic. So our mind's like, how can we help you feel better? Like turn to food, turn to substances, view pornography. And so they're just some of the ways that we would cope with underlying mental health concerns, including trauma. Um, but it could introduce porn where it's like, oh, sexual experiences kind of help me feel better, but they're tied to some really scary things too. And so viewing porn is kind of that band-aid that also makes the wound a little worse too. Um, so that's, yeah, there's lots of origins to this. So porn addiction really eliminates our ability to exploit what is going on that contributed to this. And abuse could be one of those. I can see that. You must be very much pro-parent, staying very aware of their child's behaviors, right? Online, what they're doing, where they're at. Do you Is that part of your message? Yeah. Dr. Staley, is for parents, stay alert, stay aware. Absolutely. So I, I believe pornography concerns could be completely prevented. <laughs> through education and relationships. I, I think it can be completely avoidable. And if you develop that strong relationship with your kids that, hey, I'm with you, we can talk about whatever, we can talk about you know, challenges with school or pressures you feel or our bodies or sexuality, or sometimes you get an erection and that's embarrassing, you don't want it, or this is what puberty's like. If we can have those conversations and, and feel okay about our bodies, I don't think we really need to turn to porn to try to learn things or to soothe ourselves. We can have a better way to do that and soothe those conversations with our folks. Um, but often we're like, oh, that's uncomfortable. We don't want to have that chat. It's like, yeah, you're kind of making sure your kids don't know how to swim then. We want to set them up for success. And sometimes having those conversations are uncomfortable. But I feel like this throw with porn can be, avo it could be avoidable. 
Do you, are you also kind of, do you encourage phone checking? Do you, because sometimes kids are not going to come forward when they've been viewing pornography or a buddy sent them pictures. Yeah. So I would say know your kid and their developmental readiness. So sometimes I apologize to my kids because their dad's a psychologist. So I, I've got yeah. a teen yeah. and she's like, all my friends have smartphones. She's like, but I don't. It's like, yeah, because your dad loves you and, <laughs> and knows about our little adolescent minds that we're not able to manage all these notifications and having all this information at your fingertips. And my oldest is really patient with me. And so when she did receive a phone this year, because she's getting to 14 and she's mature and, and kind of ready and we've had those conversations, um, I we have limits on it where it's like, yep, yeah, your phone goes to bed at 8.30 and it stays upstairs. Um, but I actually don't restrict things on her device because I found that some parents, that's like an illusion of safety. Oh, there's a restriction. Therefore, I don't have to have conversations anymore and I don't have to educate them. And so I'm okay with my oldest where it's like, it's okay if you experience some mistakes and learn some things and we can chat about it. And and I do check in every once in a while, okay, if you come across any things that's uncomfortable or messages with your peers, you're like, I don't know how to handle that. Or you come across sexual images. So it's kind of just one of those things I check with general safety and health with development. Um, But each time it's like, yeah, I appreciate you talking about it. And and she's someone where she's pretty open and she's like, yeah, dad, I get it. You do all these podcasts and things. I'm not so bored. If I did, I'd come talk to you. Like, she's pretty aware of that. So we focus on other things. Like, how are these chats with you and your buddies? Because sometimes girls are not very kind. Like, let's talk about that. Um, so we have some parameters, but I don't rely on filters to do my job. Wow. Oh, that's powerful. That's a powerful statement. That's a powerful statement. I don't allow filters to help me do my job. Oh, I beautiful. My experience has been with... All the adults I've worked with struggle with porn, they all experience filters. And it's like, those contribute to How the about that? struggle. And it communicates the message that you can't be trusted and you don't make your decisions. We have to have an external thing doing that. And I want to teach my kids that I do trust you and you're going to make mistakes and we can learn and grow from mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. And when a child does view pornography, you handle it by very matter of fact. That's it. I'd be like, okay, what'd you view? What what was that like for you? It's like, was it exciting? Was it scary for you? Was it confusing? And it's to really understand that experience. It's a learning opportunity. And and I had one not too, uh, I guess a few months ago where my kids are watching a, a, just a music video on YouTube and the cover art was just like a naked woman laying on a cloud and, and it kind of popped up and my wife's like, oh, Jerry, shut that down. And I said, actually, let's pull it back up again and take a look. What do you guys think about this? Like, why is she naked on a cloud here for this song? And we talked about like, yeah, they're trying to sell music. That's the objective here. And she is attractive. What are your thoughts about using our bodies to try to sell a product? Um, that feels a little off, um, but it's normal to be like, oh yeah, she looks nice and that's curious and you're interested in that. That's really normal. But also people try to sell us stuff. Like let's not get caught into that, but we also have to be, we don't have to be scared of it. Um, but we also need to keep coming back to it. That's just a marketing tool that they're using on us. Hmm. So let's say that now someone has a, a struggle, you know, they're listening and they're, they're a spouse or a partner has a struggle. Uh, tell us a little bit about some of the, the solutions. I know acceptance and uh, commitment therapy, right? It's been around for quite a while. The studies are showing some pretty promising results. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So acceptance and commitment therapy has been around for about 40 years. 
and it has over 800 randomized clinical trials now. So it's a well-established treatment for a variety of mental health concerns. And so it wasn't designed to get rid of porn. That wasn't its origin. Um, but it is addressing really the root of all mental health concerns. And so that's why it's considered a trans-diagnostic treatment. Um, it does treat depression and anxiety and trauma and eating concerns and substance use. It also is a treatment for OCD and compulsive behaviors. And so it's amazing, but the first research study looking at any treatments for reducing porn occurred at Utah State University in 2010, like 12 years ago. And so we've looked at the last, yeah, Utah State, yeah. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> but we've done a review of the last 25 years of research around sex addiction. And there's been hundreds of studies trying to answer this question of, is porn addiction or not? But there's been less than 10 studies looking at what treatments are helpful. And that's shocking. It's like, that's how far we've come. And so when you look at pornography specifically, there were only three studies that looked at what treatments work. Um, not a single study looked at do addiction approaches reduce porn. Um, that research actually does not exist, which is shocking. It's like, but that's what we've been doing. Um, that's what we've been thinking. But the three research studies that do exist found acceptance and commitment therapy to be an effective treatment. So the most, uh, I guess, robust study came out in 2016, so six years ago, and they found that folks that have been struggling with years of pornography viewing were able to reduce their viewing by over 90% in about 12 weeks. And these are folks that have tried addiction recovery programs, 12-step programs, chatting with um, counselors and church leaders, and like less than 12 weeks, um, about half the people weren't viewing at all, um, but the others drastically reduced because we're not focused on controlling a symptom. We're starting to increase awareness of emotions and understand how our mind works and letting go of trying to control sexuality instead pursue our relationships and our values. And that shift really helps people move forward and really letting go of this idea that I'm an addict. That keeps us stuck and starting to see ourselves who we truly are. And often it's really, really good people that struggle because um, if you didn't care about your sexuality and relationships, you wouldn't be struggling with this problem. Um, but because you do care, you do tend to get stuck and struggle. But with the right mindset, people are able to move forward in a matter of weeks. It doesn't take years and years. So a loved one or someone that's struggling with that, as they're looking for resources and there's thousands of therapists, I mean, you recommend having them ask or look at the website to see what experience they have with the act, with the acceptance and commitment therapy. Is that right? I'd say that'd be, that is currently our only research supported treatment is acceptance and commitment therapy. And so there are a lot of clinicians out there that are trained in ACT. So I first learned it down at BYU. They've been using ACT for about 20 years at their counseling center um, to reduce pornography viewing. Um, there's a lot of helpful general ACT books out there. Um, so Russ Harris wrote a great, great one called The Happiness Trap. Um, it's not going to talk about porn at all, um, but they found that just reading ACT principles reduces porn um, because you're targeting the underlying concerns. And then to help folks out, I developed an app that you can get on your Android or iPhone called the Life After Pornography Coach app, and it's based on acceptance and commitment therapy. Um, so it'll walk through all the principles. It's got interactive tools to increase emotional awareness. There's a built-in form where you can chat with other folks working through that principles. Um, there's a free seven-day trial that folks can check out, and then I think it's like 10 bucks a month or something. 
then I also developed a life after pornography online program and it's 10 weeks and it basically would be what it would be like working with me one-on-one doing act therapy and I've interviewed a dozen experts on on relationships and sexuality and act and there's a workbook there so I put that all together where folks can access that from the comfort of their own homes and that's less than the cost of a single session so for under 100 bucks um, you can learn act and I've found that a lot of folks are able to move past this concern on their own with the right principles. And then if folks do need some additional support, um, I do offer counseling in Utah and Idaho, um, just online for folks that need some more one-on-one support. Because sometimes when they find that when they start letting go of the porn struggle, there's some other things going on there. Um, other mood issues or anxiety or relationship concerns, or they need to learn about sexuality. Um, so if folks need more additional support, um, I'm happy to help them there too. I love that. Let's say that I was your client, camera, if you don't mind. What would acceptance and commitment look like, please, if I had some unwanted pornography viewing? Do you mind just giving me the, us the brief synopsis of what that would look like? Yeah, a lot of it is like, all right, Liz, let's try to understand, you know, what's coming up for you as we talk about this struggle with pornography? What are some of those emotions that are there? And often people are like, I don't know, I just have this terrible addiction. <laughs> I want to stop. And it's like, yeah, when you've been yeah. struggling with this, I can hardly help myself, right? Yeah. I can hardly help myself. And so a lot of it is let's start to identify what are some of those emotions? What's it what's the struggle been like? And for a lot of people it's really isolating and it's really scary. It's really lonely and there's so much shame. And so as we start to increase awareness of those emotions, we can start to shine a light on what's really going on. And we can start to attend to that and resolve that. And then we're also going to shine a light on what our mind's trying to do. And so our mind is just trying to help you. And so it's like, oh, you're feeling stuff. Why don't you go view porn and masturbate to feel better? And so instead of struggling with our mind and judging it and fighting it, we actually might practice thanking our mind for that strategy to say, oh, you recognize I was feeling really overwhelmed. Thanks for recommending I view porn and masturbate to feel better. Um, I'm not going to do that, but I appreciate that you recognize that I'm struggling here. I'm stressed. So in a lot of ways, our mind is like this overly helpful best friend. It's always there for us and sometimes doesn't give the best advice. We want to keep that friend, but we don't always have to do what it recommends. And so it is changing our relationship with our mind and our thoughts, increasing awareness for our emotions. And that's the acceptance. I'm going to start accepting my emotions. I'm going to accept what my brain is telling me. Thank you, brain. That's, I realize you just let me know I'm stressed. You gave me the idea of viewing pornography. I'm not, I don't think I'm going to take that idea, but give me another one. <laughs> but I'm going to start accepting how I'm feeling. Is that the acceptance part? That's the acceptance part. And the commitment part is instead of focusing and trying to get rid of stuff you don't want, let's focus on creating things you do want. Let's focus on pursuing those relationships or increasing your faith or connecting with others or improving some skills or education or your career. Let's build things you want. And what we found is a lot of people have been so consumed on trying to resolve the struggle, they have not been developing purpose and meaning in their life. And so viewing porn has really been a soothing strategy from living a life devoid of meaning. And so if we start to develop that purpose and that meaning and cultivating that, that need to soothe yourself from a life without meaning kind of goes down. And you understand, oh, I am human, and I'm going to feel things when I'm doing things I really care about. That's okay. Um, those feelings and thoughts aren't the problem. 
I'm going to keep doing things I care about, and my mind's going to keep recommending viewing porn sometimes. That's okay, too. I don't have to take that porn pit stop, though. I can keep it going. But it makes sense. My mind's trying to help me out. Mm-hmm. That's a great reframe. So the commitment is basically to myself. Is that another way of saying that? I'm committed to me. What kind of life do like I want for me? And virtues and who I am. Yeah. So the committed, it's, it's really action. And it's committed action in a direction consistent with our values. And so often I think about values as a direction we're heading. Like we're heading west. Like that's where we want to go. I want to be a better parent or I want to care for other people. I want to serve them. I, I want to develop my empathy. That's where I want to go. But a lot of people say, well, I want to go there, but try not to go south. And it's, it's hard to head west when you're trying not to go somewhere else. So it's like, I'm going to try to not to avoid porn. And it's like, that, that's not really focused on where we're heading. So we want a clear direction on where we want to go. And so values are the direction. And goals are really the steps or the miles we take in that direction. So I might value being a good parent, uh, but that doesn't have a lot of meaning unless I'm like listening to my kids or going to their soccer games or checking in on them. Those are the things that are consistent. And that's the committed action I take in line with my values. But focusing all my effort on trying not to have sexual thoughts and feelings really isn't in the direction of a value. And so it doesn't really get us to where we want to go. So focusing on those things that are truly meaningful is the committed action part. Get get into the business of living. That's it. Right? I think I've heard you say that. That's it. Yeah. Nice. Wow, that's really powerful. Well, our our time, man, it goes so fast every time. And I love our, our yeah, our rich discussion and the things that we've talked about so far. Dr. Steely, is there anything before we wrap up, anything that, that we haven't asked or anything that, that you want to be sure? We, we call it a takeaway of the day. Is there mm-hmm. any kind of a just nugget of information that you hope listeners will take away from our discussion today. Yeah. I would say I often want to instill hope for people. And often we get caught up in these stories that, oh, we've got this struggle with depression or anxiety or an addiction. And this is going to take a lot of work and years and years before I can get into my life that I want. And I found that really the things that matter most are just on the other side of discomfort just on the other side of anxiety or nervousness or vulnerability or taking that little risk. And if we keep avoiding that discomfort, it turns into anxiety disorders or it turns into withdrawing from life and that's depression or it turns into a compulsive sexual behavior like pornography. But this life you want is just on the other side of discomfort. And we can develop that skill set to create some more space for those emotions and that discomfort, increase some awareness for that and begin living our life now, that this doesn't have to be years and years of work before you can, okay, I can finally have a relationship now. We can start having that today. And for me, that's inspiring. It's like, I can be struggling with something and I can learn that skill that I need to get past that discomfort. And that life is right around the corner. And I've seen that over and over in my own life and the people's lives I've worked with. And so I want people that hold on to that and not get stuck with it. Ah, I got this addiction. It's never going to happen for me. Life is right there, just that far away. Ah, so yeah. hopeful. Yeah, love it. Liz, what's your takeaway of the day? 
You know, I love that Cameron talks about some of the best people. It's very true. Some of the best people I know have these compulsive tendencies, right? These compulsive behaviors and emotions drive the behaviors. I just appreciate this message of hope and healing. Opportunity is just, it's just right there. So I'm so glad for you, Cameron Staley, and for what you've built to help those who are struggling with this. Your gift. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah, truly. Yeah, you know, I... One of my takeaways from our great discussion has been this, maybe this is this mindful awareness of, uh, I think I've mentioned it before, even on this podcast, to feel it, but not follow it, to recognize, I have a choice. I don't need just to go down this slide. I can, I can feel something, be aware and almost catch myself and then have that conversation in the brain and say, huh, that's really interesting. I just felt this urge to do this. And I'm not going to do it this time. This time I'm going to do this, this other direction, something more that I really value and something that brings me meaning yeah. in my life. Yeah. So happiness. Uh, yeah. I love it. Well, we, we again, we sure appreciate your, your time, your insights. Again, tell us your, uh, your website one more time. Where can listeners go? And oh, find yeah. About you? Yeah. Folks can find me on Facebook or Instagram at Dr. Cameron Staley or the life after series. We also have a YouTube channel, Life After Series, where there's lots of free videos and there's a Life After podcast. I've got some free trainings. But I just feel like with the right information education, people can overcome this concern. So I just try to make it as open and as accessible as possible. And then you can also find me on CameronStaleyPhD.wordpress.com where you can get a lot of those free trainings and resources. Um, But there's so many things out there. And with that right direction, people can move forward now. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks for your time. Thanks for your resources, your tips, your insights. Uh, man, we direct our, our listeners to all those great resources that the cavern has mentioned. Um, and now we have to let you go. Uh, so much. Thanks so much for joining us today on another episode of the stronger marriage connection podcast. We couldn't do this without you. So please join us again next time. Bye-bye now. See y'all. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, do us a favor and take a few minutes to subscribe to our podcast and the Utah Marriage Commission YouTube channel, where you can watch this and every episode of the show. When you hit the like button and leave a comment, your feedback helps us improve the show. And don't forget to share this episode with a friend. You can also follow and connect with us on Instagram at Stronger Marriage Life and on Facebook at Stronger Marriage. Be sure to share with us what topics you want us to explore or what you loved about today's episode. If you want even more resources to improve your relationship connection, visit our website at strongermarriage.org, where you'll find free workshops, webinars, relationship surveys, and more. Each episode of Stronger Marriage Connection is hosted and sponsored by the Utah Marriage Commission at Utah State University. Finally, a big thanks to our producers, Rex Polanis, Kirsten Wilson, and the team at Utah State University. And you, our audience, you make this show possible.